Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Obviously, you're like performing for an audience and you want to make that audience laugh, but I don't think it should be like this complete one-way street where you are just trying to do everything you can to like make these people happy it should be something that's making you happy at the same time and so I think yeah that definitely starts from you making yourself laugh and then sort of sharing that with other people rather than chasing the laugh that they want. Hello and welcome to the Wannabe podcast a behind the scenes look at the opportunities available in the creative and entertainment industries so you can get to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. I'm of course your host Imriel Morgan. Shout out to you for listening to last week's episode with the incredible Coco Khan, who was just phenomenal. I adore her and I hope you do too. So today's episode, I screamed at my phone when I got the calendar invite for today's guest. Today, I am speaking to Lolly Adafobe. Lolly is a comedian and actress. Lolly specialises in character comedy and she's appeared in a number of British TV shows including Sick Note, This Time with Adam Partridge, Ghosts and the US hit Shrill. In today's episode, Lolly talks about role models and representation in entertainment. She shares how she got started in comedy, she takes us through her audition process and we find out how she determines if something is funny or not. We talk about big breaks and if she feels that the US has more opportunities than the UK. It's a goodie, so let's go. Who did you want to be before you became who you are today and why? I think when I was a teenager, I wanted to be Olivia Coleman, And I don't know, I think there wasn't really a specific person that I like pictured and was like, that's the life I want. But I remember just like watching a lot of stuff that she was in, watching a lot of comedy when I was younger um, and thinking like, that looks like fun. I don't know if that will ever happen, but that looks like a fun life to live. Yeah. Have you met her now? No, I've never met her. Oh, wow. Never meet your heroes. <laughs> never meet your heroes. Yeah, I mean, although I've heard that she's amazing, so I'm sure it'll be absolutely fine. But just too scary to meet people that you love, I think. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been disappointed. But I've also been pleasantly surprised at times, actually. So it, it kind of works. And sometimes it doesn't. Um, <laughs> I guess Olivia Coleman is, she's an amazing actress. And she's also an amazing comedic actress. So did you always know that you wanted to being comedy and that you were funny yeah I think when I was younger I was very funny uh, I have an older brother who's very funny and he introduced me to a lot of comedy I think that's kind of how I developed my sense of humor and when I was younger I wanted to be an actor as well but I kind of that just seemed like such a far-fetched goal and also like the kind of thing that you needed to be exceptional at and I just thought well, I have no experience in acting or and I'm not like I didn't go to drama school or anything so I just thought that's like you know that's a too far-fetched goal but I knew that I was funny and that was like something that I believed and I was like I think I think I can do this and then when I started doing comedy I saw like lots of people who are amazing and then also lots of people who were like not that great who <laughs> I was like well I can do that so mm. I think that kind of like spurred me on and then just by chance well not by chance but like Olivia Coleman then 
went in to do some more serious acting and I was like, well, this is exactly what I want to do. Every step that she's taking is the step that I want to be taking. So yeah, I'm just going to follow the the map that she's drawn, I think. Yeah, that's incredible. I guess I'm really curious about why you felt like acting was far-fetched. Is it just because you knew you didn't, was it a background thing? Like what was the barrier in your mind at least? I don't know. I think like, I think probably subconsciously the barrier was not seeing people who look like me, but I think actually when I was younger, it was more just not knowing how it was done. And I think people would have had different upbringings who would have known like, oh, you do national youth theatre or you do, you go to drama school and then you, you know, or you do drama at university and all these certain things that I just, I didn't really know anyone who did that. And I Mm -hmm. had no idea of what the path was or what any of the steps on the path were. So it was just kind of like a thing that I would imagine that just didn't seem very real. But it wasn't like, oh, I really need to achieve my dream and I can't do it. It was more just like, oh, that's kind of like, that'd be the dream and I can't have the dream. So that's fine. And then after university, because comedy is like, even though it's adjacent, it's so much more accessible because you can just write a five minute set, find an open mic and then just do it. I think that's something I've always thought about is in comparison to acting. It's like you can be the best actor in the world and not have the opportunity to never reach those dreams that you want to reach. Whereas comedy, you kind of create it yourself to a certain extent and then in the beginning at least. And so it's a lot more accessible to everyone, really. Everyone who can who has access to a gig in the city where they live. Yeah. So did you start going on like the comedy circuit so doing stand-up was that your first route in um no I did characters from the beginning the first character I did was like a girl doing stand-up really badly um so it was kind of like I could do it at stand-up gigs I didn't have to try and find just character gigs or anything which was quite helpful because open mics aren't necessarily the most like comedy savvy audience and they might not have seen character comedy before necessarily and a lot of the time they are just sort of like eating their burgers and not really paying that much attention to the person who's on stage. So I think, yeah, I did I did a stand-up character because I was kind of too nervous to actually just, like, I don't know, I was probably like 24 or something and I was like, I don't want to just expose my whole psyche to yeah. loads of strangers. Um, so I'm going to mask that in a character and then try and get the best of both by doing stand-up gigs, but doing what feels more comfortable to me. Yeah. And... In terms of building up the confidence to do that, as you said, you had the apprehension of kind of exposing all of yourself in the initial. How did you develop the confidence to do the first, the character on stage, and then eventually start kind of exposing more and more of your own personality, your own kind of comedic style? How did you develop the confidence over time? I don't know, really. I think, I think like, as a teenager I was always kind of like doing funny voices and doing accents and like making my friends laugh in that way and I think that is kind of a way in which you build your confidence is just having an audience that aren't like a paying audience who are there to judge you it's just like your friends and your family and like consistently making them laugh I think is kind of a form of confidence that like develops over time Mm -hmm. and I think like when I first started writing stuff, I just thought like, well, I think this is funny. And, you know, all I can do is the stuff that I think is funny. There's no point in me writing something that I don't think is funny. And then being more apprehensive about doing it. I was just like, if the stuff that I think is funny works, then great. And if it's not, then there's sort of no hope for me, really. Like, I can't change my sense of humour. So I've just got to 
you know put what I've got out there and if they like it then great and if they don't then I'll just keep it for me and my small audience of family and friends yeah I guess that's the best way to go about it is they do say in general that you are your audience first and then yeah, exactly. you kind of find a like-minded hive of people that create a community around you so that you essentially kind of find more and more of your people um, instead of trying to convince everyone else. Yeah, exactly. And like, obviously you're like performing for an audience and you want to make that audience laugh, but I don't think it should be like this complete one-way street where you are just trying to do everything you can to like make these people happy it should be something that's making you happy at the same time and so I think yeah that definitely starts from you making yourself laugh and then sort of sharing that with other people rather than chasing the laugh that they want because then it's just like transactional thing that doesn't benefit both parties I think. Mm, Makes sense yeah you've been in this game for a really long time I think I first came across you on Twitter uh, like 2015 yeah so I like I was like who's this girl um <laughs> she's she's funny and so 2015 is when I think you first popped up on my radar but you know I guess there's been lots of you've done your credits are just like stats you've been on lots of things doing lots of work since then for sure and then I guess shrill is probably most prevalent or like probably the most popular thing would you would you agree with that yeah I think so I think that was like my first like second lead role I guess I think maybe like Alan Partridge is the thing that in the UK maybe but that wasn't like obviously a lead role but yeah Shrill definitely like in the crossover to the US especially has been like more of a an opener I think for me yeah it's fantastic by the way I oh thank you so much I actually adore it like I've been (laughs) When it came out, I think I saw it on your Instagram, you're like, it's out. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I was meant to go yeah, out yeah, that yeah. evening. I'm not going out anymore. I can't be bothered oh, watching the show. <laughs> I think I only found out about the second series being on iPlayer like three days before it happened as well. And I was like, oh, okay, this is just happening now. Great. Yeah, like, honestly, the day it dropped on iPlayer was the day I was like, oh, I'm meant to be going to a, a party in Queensway, which is so far. And I was oh, like, no, nah. no, never. Yeah, exactly. So I ended up binge watching it the whole season and just absolutely adored your character development in that as well. Like just oh, thank you. phenomenal job. Well done. Love to see you. the family. <laughs> it was great. But I guess the I, there's a wider conversation that's, I guess, been ongoing for ages around Black British actors, but more so Black British female actors having to go to the US in order to get opportunities like have you found that you've needed to look beyond the borders our borders in order to get more opportunities and have you experienced kind of I guess more interest in you stateside hi I'm Daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy so I created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
I mean, I don't think I necessarily felt that. Like, obviously, was so happy to be working in America and working on the shows that I did because I loved them. But it wasn't necessarily like I'm not doing the things that I want to do here. I was, I was like doing a lot of stuff that I was really enjoying in London. I think it's maybe again more specific to acting. I think it's the, it's the fact that you can't really create your own work in the same way when you're an actor. And I can imagine like if you are just sort of going to auditions and that is the if you if you're just an actor and your and your main sort of thing is going to auditions and auditioning and auditioning and auditioning. I can imagine that it's probably quite frustrating because there aren't as many opportunities, especially for black female parts. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of the stuff that I was like acted in in the UK came from me doing comedy and me doing gigs and doing um, Edinburgh Fringe Festival and then doing sort of like comedy adjacent shows, so like panel shows and things like that and Taskmaster. And I think like in the comedy world is a lot smaller. So when there are comedy roles that come up, I think there's probably a lot more opportunity for people who do comedy and do acting, but it probably wouldn't be the case if I was someone who just did acting. I probably, I can imagine I would probably be very frustrated and probably would have been like, I need to move over there. Yeah. Is there a difference in the way um, roles come about with the US and the UK? The first show that I did before show was a show called Miracle Workers. And I was at the Edinburgh Fringe and I met a US agent and that's how I signed with my US agents. And then I just happened to be in New York when they were doing the read through for this American show and they hadn't cast one of the parts. So sometimes they just like cast people for the read through mm-hmm. and they asked me to like just to stand in and read for this part that hadn't been cast yet. And it was like, <laughs> because I hadn't been cast and it was like Daniel Radcliffe and Steve Buscemi in this room. I was like, I don't know why. I think this is probably oh my god, drama school. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been to drama school. I don't have that like training of being like, yeah, own the room. I was like, well, this isn't my part. And like for some reason, I like convinced myself that it would be like lame to really try the room. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, they're gonna be like, sweetie, <laughs> this part is not yours. You don't need to try so hard. Um, but the character was also like a very like sarcastic, like dour person. Yeah. So I sort of tried to like hold back a bit and also be the sarcastic person. And then they cast me from that read through. I, I am telling myself it's because they were running out of time and they hadn't cast anyone and I was just there. But yeah, so that was just like a, a mad opportunity that happened. And then with Shrill, I just did a self tape from the UK and then I flew to LA to do a chemistry read. So that side of it, I guess, was like, more exciting than the standard just going to an audition in London and then seeing what happens but yeah it's, it's kind of like they've they've all come out of different kind of ways but I think mm. overall the, the system of doing it's probably the same yeah it does sound a little bit more exciting I'm not gonna lie <laughs> maybe it's how you told the story <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm curious how you prepare for auditions or read-throughs do you have a process do you have like a little ritual that you do every single time or do you just kind of go in and do what you want to do? I think it, it depends. Like if it's a character that I feel is like quite far away from me as a person, I think I would probably like watch some videos of people like that. So like I, I did not a self-tape once that was for, it was like someone who used to be a heroin addict and had been in foster care and things like that. So I, I was like, okay, this is like very far from my experience. So I don't want to just like make up what I think this person is. So I, I tend to like watch YouTube videos of uh, interviews of people talking about their experiences. But then when it's something that's like a little bit closer to me, I think 
I just kind of try and do my version of what that person would be. So like with Shrill, I was like, okay, this isn't a million miles away from who I am. And I sort of do like the lolly version of, of this character and kind of say the words over and over again in my own voice and try and make it feel like it's me. Because I think like, I think when I was, I first started out, I would always just like read the lines as I thought that the producer wanted to hear them, which mm. I don't think really works. I think they want to see like what you bring to it and what your version is of it. They don't necessarily have a fixed idea in their minds or they might do, but like if you've like got a real chance at it, I think they want to see what you can bring to it and what you can do that nobody else can do. So I try and yeah, try and like merge myself with the character as much as I can. Or if it's like really far away from me, then maybe try to replicate someone else, like a real person. I guess that's the best way to go about it. And I I quite like what you said about not making up what you think someone's experience could be like, because I guess we, yeah, we can all hold some preconceived ideas and some prejudice around, especially on, I guess, characters that that can be quite difficult, but we've heard a lot about in the news. Um, the easiest thing to do is lean into a stereotype. Um, yeah, exactly. And there, I'm sure there are like so many common misconceptions about certain kinds of people. I never hmm. want to like just do the obvious thing and everyone be like, actually, they don't speak like that or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that could go, that could go, um, <laughs> could go left really quickly if you're not careful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any issues when you do like accents so American accents do you enjoy that do you enjoy changing yeah I'd much prefer to change my accent I think like again if the character is like quite close to me then it's easier but I find it quite hard to kind of like be myself when I'm not myself if that makes sense like I feel like the voice is like the first thing that makes me feel like a character and so if I'm Mm. speaking my own voice as a character that is so different from me it feels like slightly jarring and I feel like I can kind of feel myself within a character a lot more if I've changed my voice because it feels like I'm kind of becoming this different person. But unfortunately, all of the stuff that I've done in the US, they've been like, we love your accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I haven't been able to do it. Oh, actually, I did one film where I did an accent. But yeah, I mean, I love changing an accent. I think that feels like when I'm doing that, I feel like, oh, yeah, like I'm acting now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you think it's quite good? <laughs> Your accents. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I'm really good at accents, guys. Get me to do more accents. <laughs> Get Lolly to do accents, people. Yeah. <laughs> she wants that work. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I am conscious of time, so I'm going to jump into the last question, which is, what is the best advice you've ever received and what's the worst advice you've ever received? Ooh. Best advice I've ever received... I think was, I think when I first started doing, first started working in the US, I kind of felt very, just like I was like the bottom of the ladder and it was just like, I'm so grateful to be here. And like, I think part of it is also just sort of being in it, away from home, being in a different country and not being used to working in like a big studio or something. But I just felt really like, oh, you know, I don't need anything. Thanks so much for letting me be here, for allowing me to step onto this onto this um, set. Um, and my friend Ashley was like, she said, they're lucky to have you. It's not just that you're lucky to be there. And I think it's like, it's quite hard to remember that and also to find the balance of like, not getting too cocky about it, but just remembering that like, both of those things are true. Like, they're very lucky to have you and you're very lucky to be there. Yeah. And to not like sell yourself short and just think that, 
you're like Charlie in the chocolate factory and you've like been given the golden ticket like you're bringing a lot to the table mm. and it's like yeah it's a mutual thing and that advice like helps you get the most out of it because you're not just like constantly on your knees <laughs> thanking everyone um yeah, and the worst sense. advice um maybe uh when I was 19 and my friends said I should shave the side of my head <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> or actually um when I was about 16 and like, I found tweezing my eyebrows too painful so I, my friend said that I should use a razor oh my god shave my eyebrows into shape <laughs> I think that's probably the worst advice I've ever been given and now I'm <laughs> So girls don't touch your eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um yeah, you should never raise a don't go anywhere near your eyebrows with a razor. I know that you can go to a barber and they can do it and they're really very good, but Yes, yeah. Generally it's probably not a good. So I was using the same that I used for my armpits as well. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Solid advice there, thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks so much, Lolly. Thank you. I loved chatting with Lolly. What you didn't get is all of the great jokes we had before recording this episode, and I'm so sorry you missed out. You can watch Lolly right now in Shrill on BBC iPlayer, and it's available on Hulu as well. You should definitely be following her on Twitter and Instagram at Lolly Adafope, where she posts consistently entertaining content. For updates on Wannabe, follow Content is Queen on Twitter at Content is QN and Instagram at Content is Queen HQ. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends via your Insta stories. We've pulled some amazing quotes from the episode, which you can reshare via Instagram and Twitter. And I see that you do, and I'm very grateful, so thank you. To get extended show notes listing any of the tools and resources we've talked about on this episode, visit wannabepodcast.com. These are updated every Wednesday lovingly by my assistant Shay. This podcast is proudly a Content is Queen production. As always, huge love and hugs to Ellie Clifford for making sure this recording was right and tight for your ears today. And thank you for listening. Until next time, bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.